Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the time in the scripture this morning. I ask that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit as we study together, as we talk together. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins and even the desire in our heart to sin, our struggle with sin, that as we read this morning that we could come as close to you as possible. I pray this for myself. I pray this for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 13 uh, is the story, well, among other stories, the story of the wheat and the tares. Uh, This story and two others that I'm going to share with you this morning are all about the harvest. They mean something to me in the context of my own Christian experience. I'll tell you briefly how I became a Christian. Uh, I was not raised either Christian or an Adventist. Uh, was heathen, I guess, if you want to call it that, secular. Uh, 1996, Mark Finley had his Net uh, 96 meetings in Orlando, Florida. How many of you remember those? Okay. My uh, family was divorced, my mom and dad, about when I was 10, I think, separated. And uh, my sister found the flyer for the Net 96 meetings at my mom's house in the mail. Uh, my local church was doing the meetings via satellite. And a couple days later, we went to my dad's house. And she found the flyer in the mail. And so now she had two flyers. And she came up to me and said, would you like to go to this? Now, we were not religious, okay? Uh, we were secular. Um, I'll skip the details of what I, doing, I was doing, but I was not a good boy. And uh, you guys can, can figure out some of what that means. And so we weren't interested in attending this from a, uh, from a spiritual point of view. We were just kind of fascinated with the end of the world. Uh, when I was about that age, 18, uh, a lot of the movies were end of the world movies. Actually, if you notice that all movies kind of tend towards end of the world. Uh, back in that time period, the movie Armageddon had just come out and Independence Day and all these various things about the end of the world. So she said, hey, would you like to go to this? And we were just kind of curious about how the world would end. And of course, on the, the flyer, it was talking about how the world would end. And so uh, I went with her to the very first meeting, uh, my hair about shoulder length. And uh, leave the description there just because you're entertained by me being up here with long hair this morning. Um, I sat through one meeting and I didn't go back to any of the others. She went to all the meetings and was baptized. The pastor of that church has done something that, uh, to be honest with you, I've not had a pastor do since. That is that he visited us in our home after my sister was baptized. I don't know what happened to pastoral home visits, but I've observed in the last 20 years they've kind of disappeared. But this pastor, he visited my sister in our home regularly after she was baptized. Kept studying the Bible with her. And you know what happened next? He offered my mom Bible studies. And so she started studying the Bible. Now, I'm a guy, and, you know, ladies, guys are kind of slow sometimes. And it took me about a year before I was willing to start studying the Bible with him, but I did. And I was sitting in the basement of the church. It's where our fellowship hall was and studying the Bible with the pastor. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember a single Bible study. 
Now, maybe you're thinking he's a bad pastor. I don't know. But, or maybe I was a bad student. I, I don't know. But I don't remember a single Bible study. couldn't tell you about the uh, investigative judgment or the Sabbath or the second coming or, you know, eating clean or unclean foods. And I don't remember a single word he said out of any of those Bible studies. I remember one sentence he said. It was a short sentence he said. It had nothing to do with the Bible study. He looked across the table at me and he said, David, God has a purpose for you in your life. Now, on occasions, I was going to church. I hadn't been baptized yet, but on occasions, I was going to church. Now, I had a friend that lived less than a mile away from the church, but she had to kind of go the roundabout way to get to his house because he lived in the neighborhood behind the church. And on Sabbath, I would sometimes go over there and, and we would do things we're not supposed to do. And so what went through my mind is when the pastor said, David, God has a plan for you, I'm thinking, you're crazy. Don't you know what I do? Don't you know who I am? And the next thought that hit my mind was, Lord, I have no clue who you are. But if that is who you are, I want to know who you are. And that moment for me was really decisive. Because up until that point, I had never met anybody who would believe in a worthless young person like me. Like God had just said he would do for me. And I was captivated. I was literally captivated by God. Remember in my early years studying the Bible with passion, studying the Bible with desire, wanting to know everything I could know about God. How many of you remember those early days? I'm sharing this story with you because the three scriptures we're going to look at this morning relate to what happened to me next in my Christian experience. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, if you're not there already. Story of the wheat and the tares. Story of the wheat and the tares. Verse 24 is where the parable starts. Scripture says, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed what in his field? Good seed. What does it mean, good seed? Viable seed, okay. That uh, means the seed hadn't been sitting around for a long time and gone bad. Okay, what else does good seed mean? Okay, maybe the right seed for that, uh, that field or that climate. Any other ideas? Pure. How many of you are farmers and you buy seed? You buy certain seeds and there's a guarantee that the seed would be what? Ninety-seven, ninety-eight, whatever percent, weed-free, weed-free, pure seed. I was at a farming conference uh, a couple of years ago, uh, listening to a lecture on small grains. Went through a whole small grain process: how small grains are grown, how small—and uh, I mean small, like scale too. And, and the, the lack of equipment for small-scale grain growers and how do you handle processing grains. And one of the issues is there are some seeds that are very similar to uh, certain grains, certain weed seeds that are similar to certain grain seeds. It's very difficult to separate 
on a small-scale farm to separate weed seeds from uh, your desired seed. And they went through how they made these devices to, to separate very low-tech but very inge- uh, creative, ingenuitive uh, solutions to separating seed. And uh, you want good seed in your field here. And it's the point of the parables. This is about weeds in the, the grain crop. So the kingdom of heaven's like a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and then he went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then what happened? The tares appeared. So the servants, now let's stop here for just a second. Who's the farmer in this parable? That would be God, and who are his servants? Us, his disciples, his followers, his people. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow, what's it say? Good seed in your field. And then they asked the question. I want you to say that question for me. It was really unpersuasive. I want you to say that question for me. Why do you have tears? This question is really interesting. This question is very telling. It's a little exposing. I want you to say that question one more time. What did the servants ask? The farmer? Why is it that Christ's disciples, when they look upon a field, the first thing they see is the weeds? Now think about your own life. I'm going to tell you about mine in a second. Why is it that when we go to church, it's so easy to see the person sitting beside us is wearing jewelry? Why is it when we go to church and we're sitting in the congregation, it's really easy to see what's wrong with the music? Why is it when we go to church, it's really easy to see what's wrong with what the pastor's preaching and how it might be theologically incorrect? Why is it when we go to church or when we fellowship with people, it's so easy to look at them and say, how did that weed get in there? whether it's something in that person's life or something, some person in the church that doesn't belong there, how is it so easy for Christ's disciples to look at, and all the things about farming, to think about it, all the things about farming that the disciples could have potentially asked, how are you growing that crop? When, when will it be ready for harvest? Well, what about the, 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 the nutrient requirements of that crop? How are you dealing with all the questions the disciples could have asked? And what did the disciples see? They saw weeds. I told you just a moment ago that when I first became a Christian, I was captivated. I was captivated by God. I was captivated by the thought of who He is, what He does. I remember reading the Bible. With, with a sincerity to know him. And I don't know if I have time this morning to tell you the story, but I can tell you that for me, 
over the course of about the next 10 years, the subtle culture of my church and the people that I fellowshiped with replaced my relationship with a religion. And I became really good at finding weeds. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. He responds in verse 28. The farmer responds in verse 28. An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, well, the, the problem's getting worse now. now. Now an enemy has done it. We've got not only weeds, but we have an enemy who's infiltrating and, and, and under-sowing the crop with bad seed. And so they ask the next question. The question is, say it for me. You want us to go get those out? He says, say it with me, no. I'll just do it one more time. It's worth saying it. What does he say? No. It's really interesting why he says no. He says no for a couple reasons. Uh, Number one is that you're going to pull up what with the weeds? Now, the crop being grown is wheat, of course. Uh, Some of you said that. And and the, the particular weed here is called darnel. And there's a couple problems with with pulling weeds in a wheat field. Number one, weeds and wheat are pretty thickly planted in a wheat field. Anybody looked at the seed density in a wheat field or a grain field like that? Pretty dense. The second problem is, is that Darnell, especially at early stages, looks a whole lot like wheat. Now this makes the disciples question why are there weeds in your field all the more astounding? He says, because there weren't a lot of really, really dramatic differences between the wheat appearance and the tares appearance. So it means the disciples' minds were so tuned in to looking for weeds that they were looking for minute detail differences between the two crops. And, and I just, it dawns on me that we've gotten so good at criticizing other people that we're not even noticing the big differences. We're picking on little stuff that you've got to look close to see. If you were to slap a title on the servants, their title would be professional weed pullers. And there's a whole lot of me. There's a whole lot of us that could be labeled professional Christian weed pullers who, who think we've been deputized, uh, we've, we've been hired, employed to go through the church and find out all the stuff that's wrong and, and correct all the stuff that's wrong in God's field. Verse 29, one more time. His answer to the second question? No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The farmer says the weeds will take care of themselves when it's time to harvest what? The wheat. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 26, the parable of the seed. Very similar story to Matthew 13. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He doesn't understand how himself. For the earth yields its crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Very similar story in some ways, very similar parable in some ways. Both of these parables, and the one we're going to look at last, are telling us when Jesus will come. Do you know when that is? When the harvest is ripe. And, you know, I'm going to take what we talked about in the first parable, and I'm going to to extend that a little bit. In the last 20 years of being a Seventh-day Adventist, I have been guilty of being too focused on what is going wrong in the world as a determinant of when Jesus is going to come. I've become fixated throughout my Christian experience on waiting for the world to just fall apart, get bad enough, so God is just so tired of this that he decides he has to come. I remember early, I was baptized October 25th, 1997. Shortly after that, Pope John Paul II issued his Dies Domini, the encyclical on the worship of Sunday. And Adventists throughout the the world I knew were going crazy because the Pope was calling for... You know how many people said Jesus is... Then it was Y2K. I was on my way to Union College to study theology, sitting in my truck, listening to a Doug Batchelor sermon on Y2K and, and how all these possible computer massive issues and, and every Adventist was saying, surely Jesus is... Then it was September 11th. I was a coal porter working in Oklahoma, Oklahoma Academy. Twin Towers fell down, war on terrorism, and every Adventist was saying, surely Jesus is... Testimonies, volume 9, page... Maybe more recently, the Supreme Court votes that uh, men and men can, and women and women can, and say it with me, surely Jesus is weed pullers. Weed pullers. Because what intelligent farmer in this room would harvest his crop on the basis of the weeds in his field? Tell me, what intelligent gardener in this room would harvest his crop on the basis of how bad the weeds are? To be honest, if you're a bad farmer, you might have weeds before you ever put your crop in the ground. I have an organic farm. I got weeds all over the place. I can't spray. I'm not GMO. I have a new guy that works for me. Really great guy. Gotta be careful how I say this because in case he ever listens to this. He's extremely picky about weeds. I actually like it to a degree. 
he would be so happy if there was not a single weed in that field. It would look clinically clean. I'm like, gotta relax a little bit, man. It's an organic farm. It's gonna be weeds. I'm not gonna harvest my kale because there's weeds. I'm not gonna go out and harvest my orange trees because I got weeds on the ground. I'm not gonna harvest my tomatoes because there's weeds growing underneath the tomatoes. The parable says, verse 29. When the grain is, say it with me, ripe, then he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The word there, ripen, in Greek is a really interesting word. I'd like you to turn to Revelation 14 while I tell you about it. Revelation chapter 14. The word ripe there in that verse is a really interesting word. It's a word that indicates possession. It literally describes the idea of transferring possession of an object from one person to another. Verse 29 there in Mark chapter 4, the word ripen is describing the, 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 the moment when the grain reaches the point where it is biologically mature and is ready to give itself and, and give ownership of itself over to the farmer. Because until the crop ripens, Mother Nature, if you want to say it that way, is saying, you can't have me yet. Mother Nature is saying, you can't have me if I'm not ripe. God's a farmer. Is he a smart farmer? Come on. See a smart farmer? Do you understand the laws of nature? Do you understand biology? Do you understand plant chemistry, plant physiology? Do you understand what happens in the most intricate details on a, on, on a level inside a plant that no human instrument can see into? The word is possession. Until the plant, until the wheat ripens, it's not fit for transferring ownership of that crop to the farmer. And so the farmer has to wait. Until the crop is ripe. Revelation chapter 14, you know, we're really good at, um, I have a couple minutes here. Revelation chapter 14, we're really good at verses, oh, come on, what are those verses? Six through 12. What happens in verses six through 12? Three angels' messages. What do you know about the three angels' messages? Worship the, the creator or worship the, the beast and get the mark of the beast. And what, what happens to those people who get the mark of the beast? They, there's this, they get burned with torment forever, the verse says. How many of you are as familiar with verses 14 through 20 as you are with verses 6 through 12. You guys are quiet. Let's look at verse 14. I have to read this fast. Maybe I should summarize. An angel comes out of heaven. Son of man sitting on the cloud has a sickle in his hand. 
The angel says, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time. This is verse 15. Thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. You know, that's a very particular Greek word. I love looking into words. Never assume that you know what a word means, by the way especially if you're studying the, uh, the Bible, it's Greek or Hebrew, never assume you know what a word means. The word ripe in this verse doesn't mean the same as the word ripe back in Mark chapter 4. This verse here, the word ripe means dried out. Dried out. See, because those of you that have grown grains or, or, or are familiar with grains, I'm not a grain farmer, but I love bread. I love bread. If I, I, forgive me for those of you that are gluten intolerant, like, I would die. I would just drop over on the floor right now if I heard the words, you can't eat bread. So I, I'm very curious. I would love to grow grain. And as I mentioned earlier, I've sat through some workshops on small grain production on farms. And, 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 and grain has to ripen before you can harvest it. I wish I could tell you more about this. It's really fascinating. And, and from a farming perspective, I want you to realize how much Revelation 14 uh, is closing verses is written from the perspective of a farmer. And if you don't understand farming processes, you don't understand Revelation 14 and the second coming. The word ripe means dried down because grains of almost any type have to be a certain dryness, moisture content, before you can harvest it. If you harvest the grain a little bit too early and it's a little bit too wet and you put it into a silo, the moisture starts to generate heat. And at a certain point, that heat reaches a certain level. And you know what happens? Kaboom. Catches on fire. Seen a Midwest grain silo fire? On the other extreme here, on the other extreme here, if the farmer waits a little bit too long, the crop gets a little bit too dry, and when the combine goes through the field, or if you're using a sickle, the heads of, uh, uh, the heads of grain actually shatter, and the grain all falls to the ground. You know, the disciples are spending their time walking through the field looking at how bad the weeds are. God is looking through the field waiting for the very precise moment when you are ready. Because if he harvests this world a little too soon and puts us in heaven, do you know what will happen in heaven? Kaboom. If Jesus waits just a little too long, just a little too long, the crop just shatters. And can you imagine picking up shattered heads of grain, one kernel at a time, often a field of acres and acres and acres and acres and acres and acres. God is watching you. God is watching me. Watching inside our hearts. If you were to study into the grain growing process, particularly the harvest process, you would find interesting details that are relevant to the second coming in Revelation 14's closing verses that are far beyond what we've heard typically. God is waiting for what's happening in my heart. And you know there are weeds in the church? But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be very honest with you. I have some weeds right here. I have some weeds right here. And if I can be polite, I'm guessing that probably you do too. Because you're human. Inheritance that you and I have gotten so far is the inheritance of sin. The seeds of evil sown right here. 
It's easy to walk through the church. And look at what's going wrong right here. And forget that I have something growing wrong right here. But I want to close with this thought. Many of us view God as a professional weed puller. Every mistake we make, everything we do wrong, every good thing we neglect to do, we view God as a person who just sees those things. Every mistake we make, he's ready to punish. Every mistake we make, he's ready to let us know. He's ready to chastise. He's ready to, to discipline. You know, the, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Yes, that verse is true. But many of us in our minds see God as one who sees re- weeds really, really well. That's not God. I'm telling you. That is not God. The God that accepted me at age 18 when I was on drugs and doing things that I shouldn't have done, that looked at me for who I was and said, I want to use you anyway, is the same God today. He looks at my life and he says, I know you're not ripe yet. I love you still. I know you're messed up. Moses was messed up. Elijah was messed up. David was messed up. Peter, Paul, James, John, they were all messed up. William Miller was messed up. Ellen White was messed up. James White was messed up. Recently read an article. James and Ellen sometimes couldn't even get along. They separated for a while. The prophet. James White wrote to his wife, said, your head's not mine. Keep your head on your shoulders. At the time, they couldn't even live together. Ellen White was human. So are you. And God says, I didn't pick you because you're perfect. I'm watching you because I love you. And one day you will be perfect. And I'm waiting for that day. Not watching the little details, the weeds of your life. Leave your focus of the weeds somewhere else. And leave the thought that God is just watching the weeds in your life somewhere else. And tell yourself a different story. God loves you. And is working with you and me to make us perfect. Father in heaven, pray that you would bless us with a different picture of you, a different picture of our world, a crop-focused world, not a weed-focused world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.